Good morning. Uh, man, I've been preparing for this sermon. Um, my heart's just been heavy for our church, for you. I know there are a lot of folks who are going through a very difficult time right now, who feel like uh, life is just tough. Um, things that have happened to you, uh, maybe some things that you've done to add to the brokenness of somebody else's life, and you're carrying the weight of that this morning with you. Maybe you have some friends that are going through a difficult time, and you're just carrying that burden with you. And just I've been preparing and, and praying for, for you all leading up to this week. I just, I hope, and my prayer this morning is that we will know that God is with us, that he is with us. This message that, that Chance and Amy and, and Nehemiah read um, during Advent to, to kind of launch this, that we know that that is not just true for, you know, other people but that is true for you as well. It's true for me. And so as we dive into uh, the text today, I just want to prep you. It's going to be a bit heavy, but I think it all leads to the light of Jesus that, that really comes um, because of this season. So let's pray. Father, right now, um, I just ask, God, that you will do a work in our hearts that only you can do. Father, you know the burdens that are on folks' minds and, and that's weighing heavy on them right now. God, you know it better than probably they even know it. You know the depth of the pain for some, the loss that they've experienced, the uncertainty, whether it be um, health or finances, whatever the future holds, relationships. And God, we, we come in here every Sunday morning and we carry all of these burdens and all of this baggage. And for many of us, we're just holding it. And we're going, God, I don't know what to do with this. And Lord, my prayer is that we will find that you, Lord, you are our refuge and our strength. You are the place where we can run and hide and we can drop all of that at the foot of the cross. And you are a God who meets us there. You are a God who is with us and you are for us. So Lord, may your light shine in this place now, in our hearts and in our lives. And may we experience your hope, God, a hope that does not fade and that does not let us down. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever felt like the Lord has abandoned you? You ever felt like he's just kind of left you on your own to walk through life and like your prayers go about as high as the ceiling and then they just kind of fall from there. It's like, like nobody's even listening. Have you ever felt like you've been in that place where you felt lost and you felt alone, then, then you'll probably understand uh, where the folks in our text are, are coming from, because that's where they were. Like in their life, they felt like the Lord had left them, had abandoned them. And it's into this context, it's into that scenario of darkness and loss and pain that, that God speaks one of his most promising words of hope. And so my prayer for us today is that if you're in that place, if you feel like the Lord has abandoned you, if you feel like he's not even listening to you, you're wondering, God, where are you and why have you just kind of left me alone in this? My prayer is that the hope that the original audience in our text felt, that, that you're going to feel that hope today as, as well. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 8. 
Maybe you have a Bible app that you like to use. Absolutely go ahead and pull that out. Isaiah chapter 8. We're going to be looking at uh, 8 and then some verses in chapter 9. And then if you want, you can flip over towards the right to Matthew chapter 4. We're also going to be looking at, um, at some text or some, some passages from there. Isaiah 8 and 9 and then Matthew 4. We're launching this, this new series this morning called Above All Names. And over the next few weeks uh, for our Christmas series, it's hard to believe that like we're in our Christmas series. It does not feel like Christmas, especially as it's going to be like 60 degrees and sunny this afternoon. Uh, but as we enter into our, our Christmas series, we're going to be exploring um, some of the prophetic names of Jesus that's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Names that were given to Jesus, names that were used kind of to describe what Jesus was going to do and what he was going to be like. And so in this verse, we read that Jesus or that, that the Messiah was going to come and he was going to be the wonderful counselor. He was going to be the mighty God. He was going to be the everlasting father and, and the prince of peace. And all of those names have deep significance, not, not just to the people back then, but <clears throat> I believe that they have deep significance even in our lives today. I mean, how many of us would still raise our hands and say, yeah, we need a wonderful counselor in, in my life. Like, I need a wonderful counselor to help me walk through what I'm going through. I need an everlasting father that I know is not going to abandon me, who is perfect in every way. I need a mighty God to come to my defense, to fight for me. And I need a prince of peace to calm all of this anxiety, all of this maybe rage or anger that's inside of me. And so, so not only did Jesus fulfill that in his birth then, but he continues to be that for us even today. But I think to really understand the importance of our text, we need to try to put ourselves in the original context. And so as we, we open up this morning... Uh, I want to invite you all to use your imagination with me. Um, if you need to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you need that as an excuse to fall asleep, that's fine too. It's all right. But just imagine with me um, what it would be like to, to kind of grow up as an Israelite in the year 700 BC. And so first of all, around that time, your country is politically divided, which, you know, we know nothing about today. <laughs> Your country was politically divided, and it was separated, actually, into the northern kingdom uh, and the southern kingdom. You lived in the northern kingdom, commonly referred to as the kingdom of Israel. Uh, Jerusalem, which was like the hub of religious and political and your military, Jerusalem uh, was all the way down. Like, you're a long way from it, many days' journey Jerusalem is all the way down in the southern kingdom, referred to as the kingdom of Judah. And since your region, um, your region's politics and military were weak, uh, plus a little bit of divine judgment from God for how you have disobeyed, your, your area has been attacked. And you're living um, underneath the oppression and the control of the Assyrians. And they took advantage of all this turmoil that your country has experienced. And now they control your hometown. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. You look around and there is oppression all around you. They are controlling you. 
Your family is starving and the food that you do have left is starting to, to run out fast. And it doesn't you know, help or bring any confidence that, that the, your fellow Israelites, like your fellow country men and women who surround your region are looking at you going, you are a people sitting in darkness. Like that is the, the phrase that they would use to describe you. Whenever they would talk about your hometown, that would be the next thing that would follow. Oh, those people, yeah, they're living in the land of darkness. What they mean by that is that you are living in hopelessness as you await deliverance from your captors. Now, on top of all of this, the thing that concerns you most is that your grandfather, whom you love and that you look up to, you deeply admire, your grandfather is looking like he's getting worried. Like he's no longer his strong, confident, faithful self. You find him fretting more and praying less, like there is a fear in his eyes and you know that it's not so much because of the Assyrians' control over your hometown, you know it's because he's wondering, where is God? Why has he left us to defend for ourselves? And it's in this context that Isaiah writes these words in chapter 8, verses 21 through 22, describing the folks who lived during this time in this region where this was their reality. This is what Isaiah says, distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. Then they will look toward the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. For some of us, maybe you, you know what this feels like. Like this is like your reality right now. You feel like you are living in a land of darkness and despair. Like you've been thrust into utter darkness. But for many of us, it's hard to even imagine this kind of despair. Like there's nothing in our world, there's nothing in our, in our lives or in our country that, that we can compare it to, that, that we've experienced. But it was so intense that the people felt utterly hopeless. Like they, they didn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, the common sentiment of, of their time was that the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hands of the Assyrians. Like that was just kind of their, their defeating thought. The Lord has abandoned us and he's put us in the hands of the Assyrians. They felt like the Lord had just kind of given up on them. And when they looked around, all that they saw was darkness and distress and fearful gloom. But it's in the middle of this darkness that God intervenes with hope. In fact, the first words of Isaiah chapter 9 is, is this. It's, Nevertheless, say that, say that with me this morning. Nevertheless. Nevertheless. In other words, in spite of all of this, a bright future is ahead. A future that only God could write. Look at what Isaiah says, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. He says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. 
In the past, he humbled the lands of Zebulun and the lands of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as the day in Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Isaiah is saying, listen, I know that there is darkness now. I know that there is distress. I know that there is fearful gloom now, but nevertheless, Nevertheless, despair will give way to hope. Honor will be restored. Darkness will turn to light. Joy will be increased. Burdens of oppression will be broken and war garments will be burned because there's no longer any need for them. All of this will go away as God ushers in light in the midst of this darkness. In the place where the darkness was most dense, they would be the first ones to see the light of God. In the land that's currently occupied and oppressed by the Assyrians, don't miss this, okay? Because this is a cool little tidbit that's easy to look past. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, later known as Nazareth and Capernaum, From these places, a light would shine in the darkness and hope would come to those who feel hopeless. In the very place where God felt like he had abandoned them, he is about to draw incredibly near. So imagine being that young Israelite again and hearing Isaiah's words of hope. They would hit you like a cup of cold water on a hot day They would be refreshing. They would give your soul life and a vibrance again. But then then you're left wondering, Isaiah, how is this going to happen? Who's going to to make this possible? To which Isaiah would respond with words that maybe maybe catch you off guard a little bit, that maybe point back to what he just got done saying in in the days of Midian's defeat when Gideon raised up a mighty army of 300 to attack and win a battle that seemed like there was no way could be won. He goes back and he says, just as foolish as that seemed at the time, man, you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) How's this going to happen? Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing him and holding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
And so all of this, all of this, the hope, the light, the joy, the freedom, the peace, all of this is going to be ushered in, not by a prince, not by a king, not even by a mighty warrior, but by a child, a child, a baby who in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 is referred to as Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us in the darkness. God with us in the despair. God with us in our hopelessness and in the chaos and in the pain. God is with us. Look again at the verse part of verse 6. He says, for to us a child is born, representing his humanity. He's saying that in his humanity, this baby will be one of us. He will enter into our world, experience our pain, show us how to live the way that God intended us for, for us to live and, and how to be fully human. But then he goes on and he says, not only is a child born, but a son is given to us. And so in his divinity, given by God, this baby will be the manifestation of God. God himself sent us his son to comfort us, to redeem us, and to rescue us from the bondage of sin and darkness and despair. This is the great promise that was given, not just to our original audience, but that was given even to us. And on this side of the cross, we get to look back and see the fulfillment of it. Like our hope has been realized in Jesus. So you fast forward 700 years and about 300 pages in my Bible and you get to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is uh, about to begin his, his ministry and this is what Matthew writes in chapter 4 verse 13. He says, leaving Nazareth he went and lived in Capernaum, the two places that Isaiah prophesied the light would come from, this land of darkness. Jesus is now shining as a light of hope. Lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land and the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus begins to shine the light of his ministry in the place where darkness was at its deepest. He would stand there and he would proclaim that now this light has come. And three years after this moment, he would stand right back in this region on a mountain in Galilee and he would send his followers out into all the world through the Great Commission. He would send them out to proclaim that there is hope for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. So you may be here today echoing the sentiment of Isaiah's time, only instead of the Assyrians, you're saying, the Lord has abandoned me and he's put me in the hands of divorce. The Lord has abandoned me and he has put me in the hands of death 
abuse. The Lord has abandoned me and he has put me in the hands of, of addiction or he's put someone who I love dearly in the hands of addiction. The Lord has abandoned me and put me in the hands of depression or poverty, loneliness. And the same message that gave the Israelites hope can inspire you even today. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son has been given. God is with you in your darkness. God is with you in your despair. God is with you in your hopelessness and your chaos and your pain. God is with you even today. He is for you. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus for you. This is why the message of Christmas, it never gets old to me. In our darkness, Jesus shines as a great light. And so now we, as the church, those of us who have been saved by God's grace, who have been redeemed and we've been rescued out of that darkness, out of that despair, he's now sent us out to shine as that light to others who are living in that. We've been sent out to tell the world that we have not been abandoned. God has not given up on us. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness because, because he's been there and we can approach his throne of grace with confidence knowing that we will receive mercy in our time of need. We have been sent out in the name of Jesus, the name that is above all names to proclaim the good news and to do so by whatever means necessary. So this morning, uh, I want to invite up a couple who are doing this in a really cool way, not just in our community, but around the, the world. Uh, I want to invite Warren and Susan Crawford to the stage uh, to share with us uh, what they are doing through the ministry of Bryantsville Hunger Relief Project. Can you give Warren and Susan a, a hand for me? So a couple of weeks ago, we had our, our um, missions Sunday, and I got to interview several missionaries up here on stage and hear some of the things that they were doing. And really wanted to have Warren and Susan down here, but uh, they, they, Brad had some, some things and kind of planned for them up at the East Campus. And uh, so I told Warren and Susan, we're going to get you guys here, and this is going to be even better because now you have the entire stage. You don't have to share it with anybody. Uh, thank you so much for coming, and, and just... Thanks for having us. Yeah, I... I've, I've appreciated you all so much, your ministry, not just through Bryansville Hunger Relief Project, but also your ministry at Between the Crowd, and you guys just are doing so much good in our community. So, um, but, but tell us how Bryansville Hunger Relief Project got, got started. Well, this was started by Susan's parents, and so we're going to let her tell that story. <laughs> well, in about 1985, my mom and dad, Hollis and Isla Sherwood, had retired from teaching school. They taught science in, in Mitchell. Dad, chemistry and physics, and mom at uh, elementary science. And they read an article. It was a simple article in the Saturday Evening Post. It was this article. And it talked about starving 
children in Ethiopia. And it hit their hearts. And mom and dad said, we should do something about that. But, but not at first, though. Well, right? <laughs> mom said we should do something about that. Dad later said, when mom handed him the article, I was going to read the article because I'm a good husband. Uh-huh. But I wasn't going to do anything. I was retired. <laughs> they were living on the farm. They were enjoying being retired. But after they read the article, they wrote a letter. They wrote a letter to the Saturday Evening Post and said, we have a farm. We know how to grow corn. The article talked about that there was a special corn that was full of the amino acid high lysine. Now, there's a long story there that I won't go into. But they, as science teachers, knew amino acid and high lysine building protein. They knew about it. They knew what it could do. So they said to the Saturday Evening Post, if you could find a missionary that can get this corn to Ethiopia, we'll plant some corn right here in Lawrence County on the farm. A simple little thing. The Saturday Evening Post came back and called them and said, yes, we, can, we think we can get it there. We know some missionaries there. We know what the corn is, and by that spring, they had corn in the ground. Wow. It didn't, and it, it didn't get to Ethiopia that year, hmm. but it got out. Yeah. That's 34 years ago wow. coming this spring. We are still sending out corn. But the one other thing that I always like, on the back of this article, if you can see, there's one of these little, little flyers. They could have torn that out, mm. sent some money, which is a good thing to do, but they went one more step. They did something. They went ahead and planted some corn yeah. that they knew to do. And that's our story is to do something. Do something. Yeah. And, and what I love about that is, yeah, you know, they could have given $50 all the way back in 1960, whatever. And that money would have been spent. It would have gone to good use. But they said, we're going to plant a crop. And then we're going to plant it again. And we're going to create partnerships. And 34 years later, you guys handed, have already this year handed out 7,400 some bags across the world of, of corn that are going towards long-term um, food sustainability. That's, what a, what a story, that's cool. So yeah, let's praise God for that, that's amazing. So tell us, you know, a little bit what we've been talking about, about how now we've been sent to be hope in the midst of hopelessness, light and, and darkness. How have you guys seen the ministry of Bryansville Hunger Relief Project um, be hope and be light to people. Sure. Um, there's a lot, lot of different ways. Uh, first of all, we, uh, we do occasionally uh, get pictures back from uh, some of the places the corn has gone everywhere from Eastern uh, Europe to uh, Africa into the Caribbean basin. We actually got some corn into North Korea uh, before the current dictator was there and he closed mm -hmm. the country entirely. Um, but a couple of interesting things happened. Several years ago, 
we saw hope in the sense that there was a missionary in the Ivory Coast in Africa who uh, approached a chief in a town, and uh, the chief said, my people are hungry. If your God can feed my people, you can come and preach your God in our village. Well, unbeknownst to him, uh, we had just had difficulty getting a load of corn into Nigeria right next door because of, they. well, actually, they wanted bribes and nobody would pay all the money they wanted. But here was this container of corn sitting there just off the coast of Africa. And uh, God worked out the communications, got word to this missionary, and his God fed the chief's people. And he was able to preach the gospel in that area. And all of your bags have given or provided in the name of Jesus. Yes, yes we, we do that. Uh, we do that not because uh, we want anybody to think we are great, but we know that God is great. And our, my elevator speech on Bridesville Hunger Relief Project is that we grow high protein. We can't get the high lysine seed. Nobody makes it anymore. Um, we provide high-protein, food-grade corn to share with mission organizations so that they may feed the people physically while they're feeding them spiritually, uh, spreading the gospel. And, uh, and the hope comes from that. Uh, whether they're young or old alike, everybody needs to eat. So I, I don't know that I've ever shared this with you guys, but uh, maybe eight years ago, I was in Honduras, and we did a corn distribution. And I remember carrying a big old bag of corn um, up a hillside to a house up there, and on it was Bryantsville Hunger Relief Project. And so I was able to see firsthand the hope that, that just a bag of corn brought that family. Fantastic, fantastic. How, about how... How long would a bag of corn feed a family? Well, um, I'm not sure that there is a single answer to that. Yeah. Uh, we estimate, based upon how we use corn, that is grinding it into cornmeal or making cornmeal mush uh, uh, or that type of thing, uh, that there's about 80 servings of nutrition in each bag. Uh, and that may be all that the family has. They may put it with uh, other things. We have some pictures back from Africa where they boiled it into like a stew and thrown some vegetables in it uh, and that type of thing. So uh, how long it lasts depends upon how many people. Uh, yes, I've, I've been in Honduras as well, and uh, you have households of 20 people right, in right. Uh, houses uh, slightly bigger than that kitchen back there those types yeah. of things. Uh, and uh, yes, an, another case was we had a, a, a young lady who uh, came from Bedford, graduated from B&L a few years ago, had been out to bag court as a high school student, and she was on a short-term mission trip with crew through IU. Hmm. And uh, she came back, and uh, we saw her and her family one time. She says, oh, I, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I got to pass out some of the corn. <laughs> and because they had been passing out some of our corn that had gone through. Uh, actually, another one of uh, the missionaries at Sherwood Oaks supports, uh, his eyes, yeah. 
and they had been down there uh, doing that. Just, just a, re a really uh, neat experience that yeah. uh, we've been blessed to be able to have and, part and just of. Just all from right here locally in Lawrence County. Yes, That's it's growing it's right here in Lawrence County. Yeah. Bagged on your family farm. On your family farm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the uh, Bryansville Hunger Relief Project rents land from the the uh, Sherwood Corporate Farm and pays to have it planted and harvested. Uh, we just put 7,500 bushel in the bin about two weeks ago. So uh, I have uh, opportunity galore. It all has to be put in bags. It's right now it's in one big heap. It needs to be put in 60 pound bags. So just on that, uh, those lines, tell us how we could get involved um, with your ministry. Sure. Here, here's, the, here's it is. Take, take notes because you need to remember this. Six <laughs> to 12 people half of whom can lift a 60-pound bag. Any group, any time. Our uh, current acting president of our board, Brian Sherwood, back here in the audience, uh, also our chief engineer. Uh, one of us could always be, could be there. You just let us know when you want to come out and bag corn, uh, particularly when you're coming in the summer. I tell people we have a, uh, a perfectly conditioned barn. We know God is perfect, and it's whatever condition he wants that day. <laughs> uh, maybe zero if you have good cold tolerance, or it may be 110 degrees. We don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yes, are uh, uh, thankful for many, many churches. Uh, Sherwood Oaks, among them, for many years has been our, uh, one of our supporting churches. Um, but we desperately need people to come and bag corn every year. Every bag over all the years has been put in a bag by a volunteer. Mm. Wow. So this coming March, uh, when the weather is in between zero and 110, uh, we're going to take a Saturday, and as a church, we're going to go out and bag corn. So you can be looking uh, towards that. I'd love to have a group of 50 or more of us going out there and bagging corn on a, on a Saturday morning. Taking turns, yes. Uh, and it'll be, I think it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, this is also a project like your life group. If your life group is looking for a way to serve, that you could do that. And then you all were sharing with me this morning that you're looking for more land, some farmers who might be willing to donate some of their crop. Yes. Or some uh, of their land. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, yes. Actually, next spring, one of our, I call it one of the God, my God-sized goals or God-sized dreams is, is coming to, uh, uh, to reality. A uh, church over in Illinois is taking on a similar type of project. I've been working with the leadership over there. Uh, and there will be high-protein food-grade corn growing and uh, bag, cleaned and bagged and sent through mission organizations, uh, very similar to what we do at the Bridesville Hunger Relief Project. And if you would be interested, uh, we have a 10,000 bushel bin, and if uh, there's a group that would like to uh, grow some corn, we'll set you up with the, a compatible uh, seed so that we can put it all in the same bin and we'll supplement uh, what we're able to grow with, with that. But we'd love to have another, another field or two of corn around about the, the area here, uh, feeding hungry people wherever they might be found. All right, well guys, thank you so much for coming and sharing. Uh, let's give them a hand. They're gonna be out in the lobby this morning, so be sure to stop by and, uh, and see him on your way out. Appreciate you guys very Thanks much. So.
So as we close this morning, I think that the, the, the promise for us to hang on to and, and then to also know that we get to be a part of showing others is that God never leaves us. He's never forsaken us. There, and, and just like put yourself in, in the, the mindset of a, of a father or a mother who is in Africa and Honduras, some place wondering, God, how in the world am I going to feed my family? And right here in our own community, corn is being grown that's going to go into their homes as proof that there is a God who loves them, who never leaves them, who never forsakes them. And I don't know what you're walking through today. I don't know the darkness that you're experiencing. I, I don't know, but you know it, and God knows it. And my promise to you, you may not feel it, in a sense that you may not even believe it right now, but that God is with you. God is with you. For those who are trying to find their way in the, this dark and broken world, God is with you. And if you're not feeling that today, if you're feeling like, man, life is good, it's easy, then God has sent you out to shine that light to others. Because we know we live in a hurting world that needs to know that there is hope available for them too. So as we enter this Christmas season, let's go out. Let's shine the light of God's love to others and invite them to live in the joy of God's light with us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we can find in him. Thank you that he is proof that you love us and that you are for us. You have not abandoned us. You have not forsaken us. And so, Lord, for the person that is here today that maybe feels like they are walking in darkness, Lord, I pray that your love will shine a light to them, that they will leave here today feeling hope, that they'll know that they do not walk alone, that not only do you love them, but there's a church family who loves them and wants to carry that burden with them. Father, for those who are here today that maybe have someone in their life that is experiencing darkness or despair or loneliness, God, give them the courage to shine light of your love to them, to point them to Jesus, to encourage them. Thank you for the message of the gospel. Thank you for the message of Christmas. May it be fresh and new in our heart as we enter into this season this year. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.